Good evening, everybody. Um, as Paulie mentioned, my name's Kyle. Um, I have been up here for the last two weeks. Many of you might not have known, I, or some of you might not have known, hopefully, um, that uh, I uh, was on sabbatical with my wife for three months. And I've got to say, I forgot what it was like to prep a sermon. It was like 16 weeks or something, something that I thought was just like riding a bicycle. Had to, had to figure it out again, but uh, we'll see, we'll see if, if it went well um, by the time I finished. So um, you would have got this on your way in. It is a little, did you get them? Everyone good? Yeah, okay, see the nodding. Um, I'll talk about it later. I'm gonna talk about it later. I'm gonna keep you hooked with that. I'll, I'll explain it a little bit more on the heart behind it, but just hold on to it. We'll literally land the message by, um, by chatting about those. Um, but we are in week two of a series called Jesus, Hope for Sinners and Sufferers. I'm not sure if everyone was here last week. I'm sure there's some, some visitors and I don't think you'll feel left out. We'll bring you up to speed. Um, but today really is in many ways a second part of last week's message where um, we're exploring Jesus's self-disclosure and his invitation in one small passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 11, just three verses of that. And in the next three weeks, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore several interactions that Jesus has with various people in the biographical accounts of him that we have in our Bibles, um, sort of unpacking what we've learned from Matthew chapter 11. So that's where we're going. Um, but remember, if you were here last week, we dived into Jesus' revelation of himself, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, gentle and lowly in heart to all who come to him. And what we're going to do now tonight is essentially explore the rest of the passage that we read last week, but we kind of honed in on just that description of him. And uh, I've just called it an invitation to restful work, an invitation to restful work. Yes, it's a paradox because uh, I think a lot of um, the Christian faith um, has paradoxes to it. And this, this passage certainly does have that. And you'll see it as we get into it. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, read with me. It's Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's where we camped out last week. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word to us tonight. And what I want to kick off with is just explaining a little bit about the metaphor that Jesus is using here, because I reckon the majority of us in the room um, are not farmers. We don't currently live on a farm. We might not have agricultural or agrarian backgrounds. Um, and so I want to just make sure we're clear here when Jesus is talking about burdens and yokes, and you don't think that he's talking about eggs or something like that. So uh, we're going to put a picture up next. Um, if you've been in church for like 30 years, you may have heard this before, but I'm, there's probably many of you who haven't. Um, when Jesus speaks of a yoke, that's what he's speaking about here. It was a, uh, or still is, it's used today, a, a, a beam of heavy wood that had these two uh, big metal rings on it where um, two oxen were harnessed together. Two oxen were harnessed together. And what often happened was there would have been a more seasoned sort of veteran ox um, who would then be partnered up with uh, a brand new junior ox who'd never plowed a single field in his life before. And the, the senior ox, having this junior ox yoked to him, would essentially teach him the ropes. These two guys are now, they're in it together, and they're going to go for it to, to plow all the fields of the farm. That's what the purpose of the yoke was. Um, and the, the, the job of the oxen was to plow the ground so that human beings could eat and, and, and flourish, essentially. So that's the metaphor. That's what, you know, 
we maybe just need to explain for two seconds to understand exactly what Jesus is, is alluding uh, to here. But in this passage, in this invitation from Jesus, there's, there's three things that I think God wants to, to say to us through his word tonight. So here's the first one. It's, it's by far the longest one, and it's this. Number one, realize your soul need. Realize your soul need. So right at the beginning, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, but here's who he's calling. All who labor and are heavy laden. And you'll see, come find rest for your souls. He's not saying those of you who, you, you know, you, you, your laptop's rather heavy and you're pretty tired from, from carrying it to work. It's not a physical rest we're talking about here. No doubt that comes into it. But he's talking about something else, something deeper, which we'll get into now. Rest for your souls. And I want to say that Jesus' invitation here is for absolutely everybody in the room tonight. Absolutely everybody in the room, whether you're a Christian or whether you're here tonight and you're just exploring, you're trying to figure out Jesus, you're trying to figure out these Christians. Um, and maybe it's good for you to know if, if you are here looking into the things of Christ and trying to figure out the Christian faith, it's good for you to know that us Christ followers, part of the reason why this is applicable to us almost every day of our lives is because we are forgetful people. We're forgetful people. That's just the, that's just the reality. We need reminding. We need to remember things consistently. And we, we're, we're all works in progress. And, and I hope that you would um, recognize that if you, if, you, if you got to know us and got to meet us. And so that's why this is pertinent to us. But he's talking to everyone here. And maybe I could ask this. Who can resonate in the room with feeling tired, with feeling tired in, in life, exhausted, working late, working long hours, um, kids keeping you up at night, uh, getting sick, keeping up with the latest trends, whatever that might be in whatever sort of field or avenue you can imagine, always feeling like you're behind on something or you haven't done enough for someone. If you add up all that stuff, and you might have a whole bunch of other things that you could throw into that, that pot, and it makes sense why so many people feel tired a lot of the time. And, and it is a sort of general surface tiredness that I'm, that I'm referring to here and, and these sorts of things, but and then I think we can all acknowledge that we, we feel like that often. But part of this general life surface, some of you might disagree that it's surface tiredness, is, is not caused by just the surface stuff or the circumstantial stuff or the calendar or the child or whatever it might be. It is brought about by actually something much deeper, a much deeper tiredness that's under the surface. It's the soul tiredness that Jesus is mentioning here. And... Much like physical sleep, okay, think about, think about physical sleep. It's not simply about how much sleep you get. It's actually about the quality of the sleep that you get. So you can have eight hours sleep, and it can be average, interrupted, not great sleep. It's not going to actually help that much, even though, in, you know, clockwise, it looked eight, ten hours. You still feel pretty tired if you don't get REM sleep. You know, some of you will know your, your phone and your watch will tell you where you were in that, in that sleep. How much REM sleep did you get? Because that's what really counts. And our souls are kind of similar. If our souls aren't truly at rest, if we don't get that deep rest, it's going to manifest, and it does manifest, in a multitude of, of different ways, causing all sorts of overt restlessness and burnout and exhaustion that so many of us here, and certainly in our city and in our world, are experiencing and live in often. Now, I think there is a kind of general 
spiritual restlessness that I think, for example, Augustine mentions when he writes in his book in the Confessions about in the fifth century, pretty much. I'll put the quote up here, and I said this morning, he didn't write it in English, and yet I've decided to get old English instead of just simple modern English. But anyways, um, Lord, thou madest us for thyself, and we can find no rest till we find rest in thee. Augustine's picking up on that thing, that there is something in the human soul, whether you might, might acknowledge it or not, that is crying out for rest in God, and its only suitable rest is going to be found in God. I think that's true. I think that's biblical. I think that's right. But I think Jesus, I don't think, I've, I've, I seem to have read everywhere this week in studying for this, that Jesus is actually being a little bit more specific here when he speaks of being burdened and needing rest from that burden. It's a little more niche, it's a little more acute. What he's doing is he's inviting people who are striving. He's inviting people who are striving, striving to prove themselves, striving to justify themselves before God, before the creator of the universe. And Jesus is inviting these people. And just let's unpack that a bit. He's inviting people who are firstly burdened by sin, burdened by the reality of sin. Anyone who recognizes that there is a, a good and holy God out there and there is a sort of divine law that we consistently fall short of, that's going to weigh on us. And it should weigh on us. It's not a bad thing. That's just, that's just a, a, a reality. We know we don't live up. We know we don't measure up. And, and we, we see that cash out in our lives. We fail our spouses. We fail our friends. We, we fail ourselves consistently let alone measuring up to God's law. We don't even measure up to our own rules half the time. So people can be seriously burdened by sin in their, in their own lives. But, but then on top of this, we can get burdened by religious striving. We can get burdened by religious striving. And this particular word here, this yoke, especially the, the word burden that Jesus speaks about here, what he's talking about is... In, in, in his context there to the audience in, 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 in first century Israel was the law of God in his day. And actually, especially the sort of extra religious, legalistic, adding to the law, additional rules of the hypocritical and arrogant religious leaders of the day. That's really what Jesus is getting at here. So a little bit later in Matthew, just a few chapters later, um, listen to what the same author writes Jesus is saying here. Then Jesus, I don't have it on the screen, sorry about that. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, which is a good thing, Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, there's our word, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, but they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Don't worry about what, everything that means. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue, and they love the greetings in the marketplaces, and they love being called rabbi by others. And then in the book of Acts, there's a council happening in Jerusalem and, and in Acts chapter 15, and it says this. Now, they're having the discussion. Someone says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples? These are non-Christian, uh, these are non-Jewish people that are now coming into the church. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers 
ancient Israel, ancient Jews, nor we have been able to bear. And then they say, and we'll get to this later, but we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You pick that up? Burdens, yokes. Jesus is talking about this, this, this heavy load of, of the law and religion and striving and rule keeping. And maybe some of you are here today. I think this could be a fairly broad audience. Um, some of you are here and you've assumed that Christianity is actually kind of all about that stuff. That's what you think Christianity is. It's all about this life that the Pharisees are sort of upholding here. And in actual fact, Jesus is condemning it. Jesus is completely opposed to that. Jesus is shooting it down. Maybe the thought of, of a life trying to be religious, trying to get right with God, tires you out. That's, that's fair enough. Or, or maybe you've just been put off by the hypocrisy of Christians, whether that's real or perceived. All of that stuff is what Jesus is actually opposing here. That's not what Christianity is actually about. Maybe you hear some of you and you've been living under some sort of weight like this. That's being described here. Thinking that God's evaluation of you is based on your deeds and based on your works and based on your moral performance, whatever it might look like. And you live your life trying to prove yourself to God that so, so that he will accept you. And that's been, that's been your view for whatever reason. That, that's how you think it works. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, to be honest, Kyle, I haven't cared about sin. I don't even know if I think that's real or not. I've never cared about falling short of any law, of any God. I've never thought about proving myself to God. I'm not even sure that there is a God. So I don't think I'm really included in anything that you're saying here. But could I just say to you, perhaps that the, the one who you don't currently believe in is in fact actually reaching out to you with this invitation and he still has you in mind. He still has you in mind. Because maybe you don't feel burdened by sin and you don't feel burdened by your shortcomings uh, and you don't have any religious strivings that you're doing in order to try and compensate for those things. But we can also be people who are burdened by irreligious strivings. Burdened by irreligious strivings. And here's just two quick examples. Number one, think of work. Think of your work, think of your workplace. Some of us work long hours, really long hours. Sometimes we have no choice, sometimes we maybe do have a choice and we choose to carry on going and we sacrifice many things in our lives in order to do those hours, in order to prove something to ourselves. Maybe to prove something to others. And it might not have anything to do with some sort of moral performance record, but there's the drive to sort of justify our existence to ourselves, to justify ourselves before others. You know, we want that promotion. We want that, that money in order to get that lifestyle, maybe in order to get that romantic partner, to justify ourselves, to prove that we, that we can do it, that we've got what it takes, that we can get that person, that we can get that thing. Maybe sometimes we, we, we're working so hard just to beat that other colleague so that we can prove that we've got what it takes and that we're better than them. But there's a soul rest. There's a soul rest deep beneath all of that that we're actually trying to achieve. That's what's happening. And because of that, and you, some of you might really get this, work is not just about work. There's so many other layers going into all the decisions we make to burn ourselves out at work. Here's a second one that I just thought of this week when I was reading, reading a book that had nothing to do with this, and it was toxic relationships. Toxic relationships. What do you mean, Kyle? Um, and I'm, I'm here talking about 
It could be romantic. It could just be, um, you know, otherwise friendship or whatever. Um, but I think some of us, some of us stay in relationships that we really shouldn't be in, that are really bad for us, that are really painful for us on a number of levels. And we can stay in them and we can fight the good fight and in some cases suffer quite badly, whether it's emotional, whether it's sometimes physical. Why? Because we can get into a sort of martyr mode, a sort of martyr mentality where we think, hey, we need to stick this out because we can save that other person and we can transform that other person. And it's, a, it's the right thing to do. And I must do this because it's the right thing to do. But deep down, it's actually prove, trying to prove to ourselves that we're a good person. And the whole thing is all about striving to prove something to ourselves. I'm not saying this is everyone who's in a toxic relationship, but I'm saying it's definitely a possibility for many. We're deeply unrested deep down, and it manifests in really bad choices relationally. So we can strive in religious ways, and we can strive in irreligious ways that absolutely exhaust us. And lastly, linked to this, and it's implied when Jesus talks about taking his yoke upon us, what's implied there is that actually we've taken on other yokes. We're yoked to other things instead of Jesus. And there needs to be a replacement there of other yokes with Jesus' yoke. And so many of us are actually burdened by failed yokes. We're burdened by failed yokes. We've attached ourselves in unhealthy ways to, to people or to things in order to sort of center ourselves. And in our restlessness, we, wanna, we, wanna, we want to, I, I get it, we want to, I get it. We want to anchor ourselves to, to things, to something, something that can provide security for us, you know, ground for our feet to stand on, something that can offer us wisdom and guidance, something that can, or someone that can give us strength and power and purpose. And so we do, we yoke ourselves to, to people. We can yoke ourselves in an unhealthy way to, for example, here, a spouse or a romantic partner. And obviously, obviously you're married, you, you're yoked in some sense, for example, to, to a spouse. But what I'm talking about here is where the problem comes in is when your emotional worth comes solely from that person. Where where everything of you is tied up and bound up in that person. And we get very vulnerable to their moods and their feelings, how they treat us. If anything from the outside is going to threaten the relationship, it, is, it, is, it goes crazy in us. And inevitably what happens is, some of you have been there yet, it's been there, some of you are not there yet. But what happens is inevitably that person is going to fail because they're never going to be able to live up to the pressure and the expectations that we're putting on them. They're not going to be able to deliver, and then the relationship just gets filled from our side with, with bitterness and pendulum swings from love to hate and defensiveness. We break, we break the very thing that we, we're trusting in. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you could be yoked to an enemy. I'd never, ever considered this before, but was reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a very old book that I'm only getting to now, but it's really good, but... Stephen Covey spoke about this, and the idea here is that um, you might, as I say, you might never have considered it, but there could be frequent interaction between people that are, actually have a conflict going on, and perhaps one party feels like they've been mistreated, they've been hard done by, by the other, and they can quickly get preoccupied with that injustice. They can focus huge amounts of time and energy on this person, and instead of actually just living their lives, their whole lives are lived in reaction to that person. And we can start to 
and everything revolved around someone who we're claiming to be angry with, not like, someone who's hurt us, and yet in some strange way, we almost give them control and we give them power. And the scary thing is I've seen this happen in people's lives where this goes on for like decades and it just poisons people. Last one here, maybe many of us are like me, although I do want to say, I do think I've made a lot of progress here over the last sort of 10 years. Approval, people's approval is a yoke that we can, that we can put on and it becomes the thing, okay? And it, it means often that we don't receive criticism well because we feel like we don't have the, the approval or we avoid giving criticism to others because then they might not like us. And it's also the reason that we overcommit because we can't say no to people. Why? Because we don't want to let other people down. Why? Because we need their approval and therefore we are exhausted because we just say yes all the time. And often all these things that we yoke to, they, they become our center, they become our everything, and at the end of the day, often either, either they get destroyed or we get wiped out in the process. So here's the big question as we're ending this. This is the, the big, large first point, most of the sermon. What are you yoked to? What are you yoked to? And if you're a Christ follower, yes, the correct technical answer is I am yoked to Jesus. And we'll get to that just now. But let's just be honest for a second. We're forgetful. We're works in progress. And I think many of us can acknowledge and admit we yoke ourselves to other things all the time. So what are you yoked to? This could be anyone in the room. We fall back into patterns. So God wants us, number one, to just recognize our need for soul rest. And then he wants us to, drum roll please, what's the remedy? Come to the gentle and lowly person of Jesus. Come to the gentle and lowly person of Jesus, right? That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. That's how the whole invitation kicks off. We go to the next slide. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Just pause there for a second. Just listen. Just hear those words. Just hear them. Come to me. That's ridiculous, though. It's ridiculous, and it's radical. Why? Firstly, to, to first century ears, that would have sounded almost blasphemous. God is the one who gives people rest, who gives people shalom. God's the one that grants people access to enter into his rest. And here Jesus just sort of claims it. He just sort of claims it. It's, it's, it's another one of Jesus' almost nonchalant claims to deity. He doesn't go about saying, I am God. He just kind of says, I'm God. He just rolls with it. It's radical. And just think about this. If any other person said this, if any other person said this, said, hey, you need rest for your souls, the deepest rest in the universe. Come chat to me. It's crazy. You'd think the person is the most arrogant something, something the world's ever seen. You'd think the person's just an absolute crazy loon. Or you'd, 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 you'd walk away for a second and think, is that guy like a god? Those are your options. Those are your options. That's what Jesus says. And if you, if you want to just test how radical this is, just imagine you saying it. Feel free to just imagine yourself inviting the world to come and get their soul rest from you. And you will feel how ridiculous the claim actually 
is. And so unlike other leaders of world religions, even the Pharisees of Jesus' day that he was in dialogue with in that other passage, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't come and point to other things, okay? He doesn't come and point to other rules. He doesn't come and point to other philosophies to find peace or to find Zen or Nirvana or to experience oneness with the universe or whatever it might be. He points to himself. He points to himself. He, he's the one who says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I think part of the reason that he makes this invitation to us and part of the credibility of the whole invitation is that when it comes to the person of Jesus, when it comes to the person of Jesus, his life and his character is unlike anyone else. Okay, that's what we were kind of discussing last week and, 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 and I want you to consider that, particularly when you, com- you compare it to people, to the people like the Pharisees that Jesus was, was talking to. Okay, and if you, if you weren't here last week and you haven't listened to, to Drew's message on Jesus revealing himself as gentle and lowly in heart, please go back and listen to it. And we recommended this book last week on, on that, that topic. It is an, an incredible book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We stole a bit of his strap line there for the series. You can see. Um, I highly recommend to recognize, spend time recognizing and soaking in who Jesus is because it's incredible. Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, he's not unwilling to walk with us through our muck, through our pain, whatever it is. He's, he's able to lead by perfect example. He's not a hypocrite like the Pharisees. He's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He is the literal embodiment and definition of love. He's lowly, he's humble, he gets down to lift others up. He came not to be served, but to serve. And we're never gonna find, we're never gonna find the deep soul rest that we need apart from him, apart from him. We can't fulfill the law of God. Many of us have tried and we've realized it doesn't work. We, we cannot make right all the wrongs in our life. We're never gonna make up for everything. We're never gonna find a yoke that's not gonna buckle under the weight of the pressure that we put on it. And as I say, probably wipe us out in the process. And so if, if you are here tonight and you recognize the need for rest in your soul, Christ follow or not, the invitation is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's, it's come to him for the first time or come back to him again tonight. That, that's the invitation. Come to him. Come to him. Don't come to me. Don't come to common ground. Don't come to your leaders. That's all nice scaffolding. And we're here, though, to just point you to Jesus so that you can come to him. He fulfilled the law of God for you. He died and took the punishment of sin for you. He's the one who's risen again and defeated death and the fear of death for you. He's demonstrated his perfect love for you so that we don't need to spend our lives chasing it all over the world and trying to find something to fill that gap. And he's the one who's offered his Holy Spirit to you, to to comfort you, to guide you, to offer you strength, to offer you power. So come to him by faith, trust in him, move towards him, accept his invitation. And then, because that's not all he said here, and then submit to his authority and learn from him. Submit to his authority and learn from him. Verse 29 and 30, let's just read it again. So then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
It's conditional. It's conditional. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the thing. That's verse 20, 29 and 30. Many of us will love verse 28. Come to me and he's going to give us rest. Just come to me and he's going to give us rest. It's a beautiful verse to just kind of put on a coffee cup or sell a Christian fridge magnet or whatever it might be. It's a beautiful thing. But sometimes we can just act like that's all he said. And we can derail our lives and we can come back to Jesus. True. But then nothing ever changes. Nothing ever, nothing ever goes different in our life. And again, we find ourselves months later, years later, needing to return to Jesus after a massive exodus in our lives. The problem is, enjoying the verse that just says, come to me, I'll give you rest, is like consistently eating your dessert every single night and never actually eating a proper meal. It's going to feel amazing. It's going to be an amazing sugar high, an amazing sugar rush, and then ultimately it's going to kill you. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. See, the gospel is opposed to earning. The gospel is opposed to earning. We can't earn God's favor. We can't work enough to be reconciled to God, and we can't pay for our own sin. And we're never, we're never going to be able to prove ourselves and, and um, you know, validate ourselves before God. It's never going to happen. The gospel, the, the good news of the free grace of God towards us in Jesus Christ is opposed to earning. It's a gift. It's opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Hmm? Why? Because there's still work to be done. There's still life to live with Jesus in this world, amongst people. Remember the image of the oxen being yoked together. It's not so they can get yoked together and go watch the sunset together. They get yoked together so that they can plow the field and bring about human flourishing. And the ways of God and the commands of God and the divine law of God, all of that is a good thing. And I, I, that I need to communicate right now. It's a good thing. Don't misunderstand this. We need it. The ways of God, the paths of God lead to life. They lead to ultimate joy. It's the power and the deceit and the entrapment of sin that hurts us. And then we realize how far we've fallen short and we're unable to live the way we want and we should. And that has the compounding effect on our souls because that deep rest isn't taken care of. But please hear me, we don't not need the ways of God. We do need the ways of God. But what we also need is adequate empowerment and adequate help and adequate companionship on the journey and adequate compassion when we do fail and fall short. And we need an adequate example to follow. And this is what yoking ourselves to Jesus is all about. This is what yoking ourselves to Jesus is all about. We become apprentices to him who's the master. We're the junior ox, he's the senior ox. He's the gentle, kind, compassionate master. He's the lowly, accessible, servant-hearted master. He's the one who died so that we can live. He's the one who prays right now so that you will persevere in your faith if you didn't know that. And Jesus is inviting us not just to a sugar high to come to him for a quick fix. He's inviting us into lifelong learning. 
That's the invitation. We don't just come to Jesus on Sundays to, to get some chilled out soul rest and then go on the rest of the week without putting on his yoke. That's not what he's trying to get at in the whole passage. We're just picking and choosing something that makes us feel a little better for two seconds. If we don't hear Jesus, if we don't listen to everything Jesus says here, we're going to miss it and we're never going to grow and we're never going to change and we're never going to experience the depths of joy that God has for us and that he's inviting us into. And it is a paradox. It is a paradox because we're taking on something. We're putting on something. We're putting on a burden. But I love what Michael Eaton says about this. He says this, his burden is not burdensome. He is sweet and gentle in his dealings with us. His yoke may seem to be tough, but when we obey him by the power of the Spirit, it turns out that he gives us such grace that the burden is not a burden at all. Because his ways are the ways for life. It is something, I love this, it is something only the obedient Christian discovers. No one else ever finds it. We're being invited to find something amazing. And if you've come and you aren't really learning as an apprentice of Jesus, as a disciple, then maybe the question you need to ask is, have I really come? Have I really come? Or did I just come to a cheap imitation sugar high of something that's ultimately gonna kill me? See, friends, we can trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus both as Savior and as Lord and Master. And one way you can trust Him is just to remember We've been speaking about this wooden beam, right, across these oxen. I love the fact that I've thought this week, hey, who, who would have made the wooden beams for the oxen in the ancient world, in ancient Israel? Oh, it would have been a carpenter. Who was a carpenter in ancient Israel? Ah, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. He worked a lot with wood. He worked a lot with wood. But just remember for a moment the other piece of wood, the other piece of wood that Jesus carried. Carried on his back towards the place of the skull, where he went and he bore the burden of our sin on himself. He took on our burden and paid the punishment for our sin. He was able to save us, but also he modeled something so important there. He modeled submission to the authority of God by bowing to the Father's will and dying on our behalf. And out of that has come joy and life and abundance that we're so grateful for. But what this means is he's trustworthy He's trustworthy. You can entrust your life to him. So here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Let me just summarize it, basically. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus, to be close to Jesus, to be in his presence. Why? Because he's, he's right there with you under that yoke. You're going together. The invitation is to learn from him, to walk more and more in step with him, becoming like him, being shaped and formed into his likeness through this process, through life and all its avenues and all its ups and downs. The invitation is to become like Jesus. And the invitation, lastly, is to plow the field with him. Plow the field with him. What's the, what's the field in Jesus' picture language in the Gospels? The field is the world. The field is the world. And he's inviting us onto mission with him in this world, to see more people come into relationship with him, more people to be unburdened by the burdens of the world and take on Jesus' yoke of true life. And that's where we're landing, and that's where I'm gonna just point to this. This is a seed card. 
It's an alpha invitation. And what is alpha? Some of you will know, some of you won't. Alpha is a course where anybody can come and explore the big questions of life, the meaning of life, the person of Jesus. It's a no-pressure time. There's good food. There's good conversation. No one shuts down any point that someone makes. People are come. People are free to come and explore the claims of Christ. And we've been running this course for years. And this card in your hand is, is an invitation for you to invite people to come to Alpha and ultimately to, for them to consider coming to Christ. That's what this is. And so the reason to seed card is essentially, here's the pitch. Write down the names of people that you would like to invite to Alpha. Write down their names. This comes from passage in Luke 8 where Jesus is using another agricultural metaphor and he says, hey, the seed of the word of God is going to be sown and then let's see what happens. Let's see what gets harvested. Our job is to plant the seed and in this case, just plant the invitation to come to Alpha in someone's, in someone's life. Write down their names. This comes from Luke chapter 8 verse 11. Set your alarm at 8.11. Pray for those people. Invite those people and then as part of that process, Plant this, this is mind-blowing, plant this in the ground because it's actually a seed. And part of that thing of an active part of your prayer, plant this in the ground and pray for those people and water this thing over a few days and watch your seed sprout. I have no idea what it is. Herbenville just opened up on the corner. I don't know if it's linked to that. I take no responsibility for what comes out of the ground. But join Jesus on his mission in this world to invite more people to find him. That's what this is about.